Hey, welcome everyone to Theology Thursday. Isaac looking sharp in a green shirt tonight. I accidentally matched the room we're in. I always hate it when that happens. What's up, everybody? We got six likes already. We do. Before we've done anything. That's my favorite kind of like. It's like a completely 100% percent unearned. It's built upon trust. That's true. That's a positive way to spin it, actually. Yeah, it's it's like a trust-like. When you've had someone cook a dish like multiple times and it's good every time you say, oh, this is going to be so it's good. It's going to be so good. Yeah, well, don't expect that today. Yeah, today is the wrong. <laughs> All good things must end. Everything. Now, it's out of frame, but... Well, oh, let's see. Jay Kim oh, says, who's, who's joining us? So what he up, said, I've never seen that one before. And here's the thing. The, the reason why is if you know me, I have like three shirts. Yeah. That's why I commented on I have two <laughs> pairs of pants and three shirts <laughs> and that's it. And they're all black pretty much. And they're all PFG performance. Yeah. Gear from Columbia. Yeah. And I don't wear, I would never go like the last thing I do is man, let's just go buy some new shirts. So it's post Christmas and I, my kids, you know, technically with my money, <laughs> bought me this shirt for, for Christmas. They actually bought me two. So uh, stay on the lookout. Stay on the lookout, man. They're going to be another shirt, another shirt coming that's out. So, that's so awesome. There is something about get receiving a gift from your kid. That, like it's already sort of like that with your wife, but when it's your child, it's even more just like, like, no, I return it. Say, give yeah. me back my money, man. <laughs> give me back my money. You kid's spending my money. Jay Kim likes the shirt. Um, he says it's lovely and he's excited to see next week's shirt. The thing I was going to bring up, speaking of new stuff, is that because our repeated not so subtle attempts to get Spindrift to sponsor us failed. Isaac brought a new drink to the table today. That's a Dr. Zevia. That's yeah. like a Stevia soda that masquerades as a true soda. Yeah, it's um, what's interesting is it's sweetened by Stevia, which is a plant. So it's not like when it's not like artific artificially sweetened by something like that's called like maltodidextrid, high ride, mono, yoda. You're right. Grogu. Grogu. It's just stevia. <laughs> it's a plant. So yeah. it's pretty good. The only downside, I like everything you just said about stevia. The problem with stevia is that it's a plant that tastes bad. Oh, uh, the biggest fan of stevia in the world is just jump on. It's Dan Kimball himself. Dan likes stevia? He's a zevia man. That guy. Now, if you, okay, if you could have an actual Dr. Pepper that would not do anything bad to you, would you prefer it over the thing you're drinking? No, I like Zevias, man. They're good. They're good stuff. It. I'm I'm all about like I'm all about all the healthy fans. Like, oh, Kevin, throwing the hate, man. You wow. know, Kevin's over on the tech. He can press some buttons and throw his hate our way, but we're not going to let that affect. We're us. not going to let it. We're throw talking us off. about the Darth Vader. We are the Palpatine, right? Yeah, Darth Vader's redeemed at the end. Yeah, the ultimate evil, and and it's funny because I kept trying to write the tagline for what I was going to put on Facebook for this episode. But um, everything I wrote, like I've been a Christian so long that I felt like I could not be flippant at all about the devil. And no, I, yeah, it's right. I even almost like I sort of still was a little bit like I just said, Hey, we're going to keep it really light by talking about the devil. So it's sort of a joke, but I couldn't like anything pithy that I started to come up with about Satan. I was like, I'm not, I, I just can't do it. No, um, it, it's, um, it's plain lightly with heavy things. Right. And you shouldn't do that. Remember, um, book of Jude. I thought um, you were going to do star Wars. Go to star Wars again. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's Jude. There's Michael, the archangel. 
and he doesn't dare bring a reviling accusation against Satan right. except to say the Lord rebuke you. So it's heavy stuff. It's not to be yeah, entered into lightly. So. Now, I'm sorry. I got distracted because <laughs> I saw that Dan Kimball said that he adds a can of Zevia to the bathtub every time he takes a bath. <laughs> Which is so, there's so many layers to that. Because I want to know, and you can respond in the chat if you want, Dan, how frequently are you taking baths, first of all? Well, with COVID, you don't have to. That's what, that's what I'm saying. Everyone's, you know, with shelter in place, you're seeing less people and in, all that stuff. In the so. old days, people would take a bath on Saturday night because they were going to church the next day. But now that church is outside, I'm not if even worried about that. If your that. church is just doing digital church and it's only no. outside, you're I do you're my clear. My weekly bath is on Wednesday night so that I'll be clean for Theology Thursday. And that's literally it. So, yep. all right. So for those of you who weren't here last week, um, highly recommend that you watch that video um, because it, especially if you're not watching this live, but if you're watching this later, go watch that one first because we really can't recap everything we covered. It's too much. Um, but the short version would be last week we talked about the fact that Contrary to how we typically talk about spiritual beings, angels, demons, etc., mm -hmm. and that we most evangelical Christians imagine a very simple hierarchy with God on the good side, the devil on the bad side, and then yeah. one category of being under them, angels, and then bad angels that we call demons. Um, and we just talked about how if you actually read the way the scripture talks about spiritual beings, it appears that there is a much more diverse set of types of beings, mm -hmm. um, and that there are you know, untold varieties, because we don't know a whole lot about them, but that, that, that term Elohim is plural and often is talking about, you know, a, a s giant swath of different beings that all would be under the category spiritual being. So the same type of being is God, but not God himself. Yeah. Anything else you want to add to the recap? No, just probably the important thing is not that, it's not to say like, here's some so here's some reasons why your Bible translations are so horrible when they say angel, demon, or angels in place of, or in the one passage they put it angels when it says Elohim. The point is that the Bible speaks about spiritual realities in different categories than we often use. And oftentimes that's hard, harmless, but sometimes you're going to miss out on the fuller picture that the Bible's trying to present because you're, you're, you're using different categories. Right. So when, so we often read the Bible and we're kind of automatically editing out things that don't comport with our understanding of how this. Yeah. And the example of last week, it's the, in Egypt, God with the Exodus story, God says, I'm bringing these plagues so I can execute judgment on the gods of Egypt. Right now, the modern materialist mind wants to immediately say, "Well, those gods are just metaphors. The right. gods, those are like the gods of money." And, and what God actually means is that He's going to prove that they're not even gods at all. Yeah, but, but that's not what He says. No, in the text, it sure sounds like there are powerful spiritual beings at work that God brings judgment to. And then we look at the passage in the Psalms where God is upset at these Elohim, these these people in his kind of divine counsel because they're practicing injustice. And now he says, no, now you're going to die like, like men. men. So implying that they're not actually like men. Yeah. So yeah. So again, watch, we, we get way into all of that last week. Um, but tonight we really want to focus on the kind of ultimate arch enemy uh, in scripture and in the world, the, the Satan. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to say the Satan. Um, and I try to actually say that consistently because it's a, it's almost like a reminder to myself that Satan is not his name, mm -hmm. but the Satan is one of many titles that he has. And it's interesting. I, I've heard um, Gary Brashear's professor at, at the seminary that we both attended talk a lot about how 
Satan is not named in scripture on purpose. Have you heard that theory before? Yeah. And fiction will do this a lot of times. So there's like languages that aren't supposed to be spoken in Lord of the Rings. And then in a book that I, that I've loved it's for teenagers, but I read it and bawled my eyes out. I've talked about it multiple times, the wing feather saga in the wing feather saga. The, the main bad guy is called nag the nameless. Mm. So he's supposed to be that it's, it's just a play for, cause it's a chill, like for teenagers, yeah. it's a little playful, but the idea is that he's the nameless one and Satan is the nameless one. You don't even get a name for him. You just get what he is. Yeah. And, and what he is, is he's the adversary, the opposer, the opponent, the accuser. Well, we can talk about some of his other names. It's interesting. There's also, there also seems to be a kind of polemical aspect to the leaving your enemy unnamed thing. Yeah. Um, and, and there are some ancient Near Eastern scholars who talk about the fact that even like the fact that the Pharaoh of the Exodus isn't named. Yeah. And we get King names all the time in the Bible. Um, yep. Very often, like, you know, we know when it's Tiglath-Pileser or Sennacherib or whoever. Yeah. And if you defeat an enemy, you might say, we're going to erase. Yeah. Every record and trace. Of We're not your going to and your dignify you yeah. by giving you a name, and so that's another possibility. But yeah, the Satan is a title. So just like we talked last week about the fact that God um, is a category term for what God is, it's mm. not the name of who He is. His name is Jesus. Mm. In the Old Testament, the name is Yahweh, um, but what He is is God. Similarly, the Satan is a title for what this character is. Um, and again, it's a term that means um, accuser, adversary, opposer, the person who stands against something else. And we mentioned this briefly last week, but it's actually really interesting. You get that term used to, uh, to talk about other entities multiple times in the Bible. Yeah. So there are enemy kings that are called Satans, never mm -hmm. the Satan, which is interesting, um, but often Satans, or even, I think we mentioned this last week, but the angel of Yahweh stands as a Satan yeah. against Balaam, the, the prophet. Yeah. Um, and it's because he's opposing him. He's not even evil at that time. It's God. It's, yeah, he's it's a ge yeah, generic term there, the opposer or the opposing one. But you're right, Satan is the... He's the epitome of opposition yeah. to God. Um, other titles for him, devil, that's another common one, also not a name. Mm -hmm. But a devil is a slanderer. And similarly, there's places in the New Testament where gossipy people in church, Paul calls them devils. Yeah. Because it means to slander. That's fair. And heavy. Yeah. <laughs> Got some uh, devils out there. Other it, titles. Chihuahua. Chihuahua. Beats. Oh, come on. Not like his beats, like drop the beat. Oh, okay. But like. Well, I'm still, I'm, I'd still, the, wait. That's the, that nasty. No, you can't like stevia and, oh, and on, decry man. beats. Let me tell you something. <laughs> this is the best drink I've ever had. And if you're out there listening, Zevia, whoever owns <laughs> you, you. Should know, you should know the name <laughs> of the product. I want a, I want a full-on sponsorship. What would it entail? Like, what would be the minimum? If you give me one of these to drink for free every Thursday night, hey, that's all it takes. Low bar. That's like, all it takes. I'm a, I completely agree. I mean, frankly, you're doing it for free right that's now. That's all it takes. So, all but it takes. If, Zevia, if you're out there. All we need is, well, it, should we get Kevin one too? No. Okay, so we just need 104 no, you free drinks. Yeah. So we each get one per week. Done deals. I'll give yeah. Kevin a sip after COVID's yeah. over. Yeah. Um, I'd rather eat a beet. Do you like beets, Kevin? I've come around to them. Not they're sure not about good, it? Man. Okay. They're not good. Yeah, they're, they're great. They're great. Y'all are both wrong. So, okay, another name that gets thrown around that's just worth unpacking really briefly is Lucifer. 
Yeah. Because Lucifer, I've heard a lot of people say, okay, well, the devil or the Satan isn't his name, but Lucifer is mm-hmm. his name. And the super short version is Lucifer is just a Latin word for the planet Venus, which is the morning star in the Isaiah passage that we'll look at a little bit later. So, Which is going to be awesome. Yeah, that's, that's what we got to rush to get to. So anyway, we're going to Genesis first. Right? We are. Yeah. Which is pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. Should we go? Should we do? Yeah. It let's. Yeah. Cause it's gonna, it's, it's gonna probably be new to most people. Yeah. So break it down. When we first meet this character, he's not called the Satan or the devil or anything else like that. What do we, what do we get to call him? Yeah, there is a Hebrew word Nahash that's used and it means serpent snake. snake. And when you read the rest of the New Testament, you read later Satanology back into that passage. But when you're encountering it just in Genesis, dude, there's just this snake that appears. He's yeah. very mysterious. It's a very mysterious character. And it becomes, I would say, pretty clear as the story goes on that you're dealing with a spiritual being, as we yeah, talked so about this, last week. This is important, is because oftentimes in the modern world, um, people... And this doesn't happen only in Christian circles. This is like the arrogance of all humanity. We typically look at people in the ancient world or people from the past and think they were stupid. We think they're so dumb and say, and you know, people might tell you as a Christian, oh, do you really believe that snakes can talk? And all of a sudden you're put in the corner. It's like, well, we know that people in the Bible and ancient times were so dumb. They believed they thought snakes snakes talked. And it's like, no, dude, people, people have been exposed to snakes and they didn't see him talk. So when they encountered this passage, they knew. They reacted to it like we did. They, th- something weird is going on. And they had categories for this. It's the materialist who doesn't have categories. It's funny how you, you come to a ultra-literal definition only if you impose a materialist worldview upon a text where it has to be right. uh, a snake that all of a sudden starts to talk. So that's not to say there might have not been some type of serpent-like creature that was talking. The point is this. In Genesis, there is a Nahash that is depicted as a cunning creature. Yeah, crafty or cunning. Crafty. And people in the ancient world would have immediately said, there's, there's some type of spiritual being that has either taken the form of a snake or is appearing in some serpent-like fashion. Yeah. But it's not as if people in the ancient right. world believe you're in Narnia and all the animals talk. Right. Oh, oh, we're, and we're in the kn- garden. Here's Mr. Tumnus, man. And you they know cookies? it. Well, and that's, I remember thinking that. Not that like, oh, could all animals talk? Because, and this is such a materialist reading yeah. of it. Like Adam or Eve isn't surprised when the snake talks. So maybe all animals maybe talk. Maybe all the animals talk. But if you're an ancient person who already expects that there are spiritual beings that can and do sometimes interface with people mm-hmm. when a crafty snake starts talking you're already making that leap we yeah. uh, c.s lewis calls it chronological snobbery yeah that you think about people from the past and think they must be so dumb um so yeah it's it's that's a really good point i think it's really important just as you're reading the bible if something seems crazy to you there's a chance that it's your cultural context but a lot of the time it was supposed to also seem out of the ordinary yeah. to the ancient person. They would have seen there's this garden paradise. And and this is where it gets interesting too, is that the, the garden is the dwelling. God is with Adam and Eve, the garden. It's his, it's his dwelling place. It's functioning as a temple. And so 
we know that in God's dwelling place in the Old Testament scripture, there's also other spiritual beings. Right. We talked about that last week in the Psalms. There's the Beni Edel Elohim, these sons of God. spiritual beings that are there. In the book of Isaiah, which we'll get to, God has seraphim that are in his presence. We'll get to that. But there's other spiritual beings in God's dwelling place that surround him. So the temples, the, the garden is functioning like this temple, and there's this understanding that there's other spiritual beings in the created order. Now, all of a sudden, there's this serpent. Either the spiritual being is appearing as that, he he's taken over a literal serpent. Yeah. Or that's the appearance that this category of spiritual being has. Yes, but no one in the ancient world is thinking, oh, of course snakes talk. talking snake. You get that awesome Carl Barth quote um, where, he, where somebody apparently after, this might be apocryphal, but somebody after a lecture asked him, a woman said, do you actually believe that a snake spoke? And Carl Barth said, ma'am, it doesn't matter mm-hmm. if the snake spoke. What matters is what he said, which yeah. is, so, is so awesome. And it kind of gets to the point, which is that's not the hang-up for the yeah. ancient person reading the story. They were prepared to accept that this situation happened, not because they're dumb, but because they're open to spiritual possibilities yeah. in their histories. And so this serpent famously deceives Eve and Adam and it results in the curse. There's a, a question that goes along with this, um, and man, I don't know if we even have time to fully unpack it, but one of the things people wonder about is, was the Satan already evil and rebellious before this, or is this the moment that he kind of like takes his first rebellious act against yeah. God? And, and it, you know, we, d- we don't know, but it's interesting that if you have the um, kind of the, the framework of the ancient Near Eastern mind working, then it opens the possibility, at least in the story, that this is actually Satan and humanity's fall sort of occurring simultaneous. In that, again, um, you have the garden, which is functioning as a temple, and which, by the way, is most likely, and I don't know if I'll we'll have time to get to this, but it's hinted at, at Ezekiel and Isaiah, is it's it's a mountain yeah. because the dwelling place, it's not... At a low point, it's it's the garden on top yeah. of a mountain. And any ancient Near Eastern relig- spiritual person would have assumed that that's where God lives, is it's, on it's top of a mountain. The, the high places, the mountains were, were sacred sp- spaces. And so in that dwelling place, there's other spiritual beings around God's presence. And all of a sudden, one day, one of these spiritual beings chooses to attack one of the image bearers. And it's possible that that moment is both hu- physical and spiritual rebellion happening simultaneously. Yeah. We don't know. I, I favor that view personally um, for a couple of reasons. One of them is because this is where you get God cursing the serpent. And so the serpent, who is much, much later going to be revealed as the Satan, mm-hmm. the spiritual being, he gets his direct cursing from God after this occurs. Yeah. Um, and so again, you know... You so at minimum, he wasn't, a, he wasn't cursed before that. Maybe he had rebelled, but God hadn't like straight yeah, pronounced done the judgment. ultimate curse yet. Because that's where it's like said, you are going to be in opposition, which is his role as the mm-hmm. Satan, to the seed of the woman, the offspring of Eve. Yeah. And you, you know, you're kind of the ultimate enemy at this point who's eventually going to get crushed. But that it all happens because of, I mean, I shouldn't say that clearly that it's because of this. I also, it's kind of a minor point, but it's interesting that He's introduced in the story as a being who is crafty above every other beast of the field. Mm-hmm. And crafty, um, you may have heard this already, uh, watchers, but crafty is not as negative sounding of a term in Hebrew as it is in English. It's yeah. neutral at worst. That it's just, it's about being kind of savvy, 
not yeah. necessarily cunning in a creepy negative Or if you're homeschooled, like my family, crafty is like a positive word. <laughs> like it's like, man, we're, we're crafty, man. We do all kinds of arts and crafts. That, that, yeah. You know, I am, I am a homeschooler Sam was and homeschooled, I'm still man. at a loss for words. He's, he, he was, <laughs> Sam, when he was a little kid, he was real crafty, man. He'd get like toilet paper rolls and put rice in them and then tape them on each side. And then you had a little shaker. Well, I mean, that's what Drew Dowler did that for Worship Wednesday just a few weeks ago. Yeah. He couldn't find a shaker. Sometimes the budget cuts get hard and you got to <laughs> make those little homeschool rain sticks for your worship you know, band. Because I'm a homeschooler, I get, I get a lot of trash talk around here, but it's almost always in the context of Isaac trying to get me to think of a big word. So it's kind of, you're That's kind of talking smack, but it's also sort of a compliment. I remember yeah. one time we were driving to a conference, like the whole staff was, and you were in a different car than me. And we stopped at like a restaurant or something and we all got out and you were like, Hey, watch, watch Sam. What, what do you call a bunch of crows together? Oh yeah. I was a good. And I was like a murder of crows. And he goes, see, and everybody laughed. And I was yeah. like, <laughs> cause only a dork would know that man. <laughs> now, one of the other important notes about me being a homeschooler or uh, you being a dork. Okay. Uh, <laughs> One of the other important notes, and this is said again and again and again, and it's it's flat out wrong. It's not related to, to Satan, but it's important to note. When God curses, there's some things that yeah. he curses, but he does not curse humanity. humanity. And I say that because you've probably heard it. If you've been in a church a long time, preachers say it, theologians have said it, children's Bibles say it. Little children's stories say they call it the curse, and they talk about how this is where God cursed humanity, where God cursed Adam and Eve. God curses the Satan, and then there's a curse that the ground is now going to be hard to work and X, Y, Z, but the image bearer is not cursed. Right. And it's important distinction. I, I just grew up, and I went to Bible college, and, and I was teaching in Africa, in Tanzania, to college students. And I'm just like, yeah, this is the curse where God curses Satan, the ground, and Adam and Eve. And one of the persons raised their hand and says, teacher, God doesn't curse Adam and, and Eve. And I go, come on, man. Who are you, man? I'm the teacher. Let me show you right here. And I read it. You're like, wait a second. He's right. And it's just so ingrained in us. God doesn't curse his image bearer in, yeah. that, in that instance. And so homework for you is if that sounds wrong to you, just go read it. It's not very long. It's in Genesis 3. But it is interesting. This is what I was saying before we went homeschool mode was uh, it says, you know, at the, the serpent is introduced as being crafty or yeah. cunning above every beast of the field. And in the curse, God says to him, cursed are you above every beast of the field. And it's the exact same phrasing in Hebrew. It's just mm -hmm. he starts out kind of wiser and more crafty than all of them. And then in the judgment in the same chapter, God says, you are going to be cursed beyond all mm. of them. So again, that's not concrete, but it looks like a poetic way to describe a fall from grace to me. Um, so very, again, it's not clear at all. And um, there are whole theories that the war with Satan predates creation, that God and Satan are already yeah. possible. You know, it's but not clear. Probably the thing to take away from this is that he, at this point in the biblical narrative, there is a mysterious character. He's a spiritual being that either somehow appears physically as a snake or has the appearance of some serpent-like creature, right. but is very mysterious, and then it progresses and you get more. Yeah, and it's, that's, again, really crucial because you have this idea, if you're a Christian, of like you kind of can read Satan into all kinds of stuff, but after this point... He is hardly in the Old Testament directly at all. Very little. In fact, in the chat, and feel free to take a guess at how many Old Testament books the Satan appears under that title. 
I'm hoping I know. Do you know? Because I, I think I do. How often does he appear? How as many times does he is appear? he called the Satan? This character. I'm pretty sure that I know the number of books. There's only three I think pastors I know. in the room. Okay. I'm waiting to see if any guests Give it some come time. In. But yeah, and this, uh, as a side note, that's this hopefully helps answer a really common question um, from Christians, kids and adults, which is, what is that ser- serpent doing in the garden? Why is he there? Why does God let Satan in there? And the kind of why question of why God allows this is a gigantic other question. But um, if you kind of follow the line of thought that he hasn't been cursed by God up until this point, it's not that it's not nonsensical that he would be there in the presence of God in the garden prior to being cursed. And even if he was and the fall was before, we see in Job that Satan, which is the one of the answers to the right. question, that Job... Satan comes into the throne of God, room of God. Right. I mean, Christians have heard things like God can't be in the presence of evil. Right. And it's like in Job, Satan is having a conversation with God in the throne room. Yeah. And he, and by the way, it's it seems very normal for him to be there. And in Genesis, the serpent is there and the garden is the, is where God is walking with Adam and Eve. It's a dwelling place of God. So again, sometimes we have these categories that, that just can't be mapped yeah. upon. Okay. So the answer, no one in the chat's brave enough unless the live, the live stream's probably 30 seconds behind, but how many times is that figure named the Satan in the old Testament? I believe it's three times, three times or three books of the old Testament Three books. Okay. What do you got? For, for him being called the Satan, I can only think of two, Job and Zechariah. What's the third one? Uh, Second Chronicles. When there's, oh, yes. When there's a census. That makes four. Because, oh, no, because it's not the Satan and the king's account of the same story. Yeah. No, you're right. Absolutely. Dang, that's why, that's why, you get, that's why you're the boss, man. My. Um, and that's, a, I, that's one of my favorite weird stories in the Bible, too. I can't believe Super I didn't weird. think Super weird. That's a side, side homework. Maybe a s- homework. Go read the census account. In Chronicles. Yeah. First Chronicles 22, I think, maybe. Don't, don't know. Don't, don't Google it while we're on the live broadcast. Second Hezekiah so, 42, 43. So Job is a, is a really crucial one, though. Yeah. Because like Isaac said, you have this God in the divine council, which we talked about last week. It's the setup for the whole story of Job. You've got this guy who's righteous. He's blameless, it says. This guy doesn't do anything wrong. And God is in his divine council, surrounded by the Bene Elohim, the sons of God, and the Satan shows up and God says, what you been up to? And he says, walking around on the earth. Mm-hmm. That's what this is my translation, like always. So take it with a grain of salt. And God goes, have you seen Job? Job, my servant. He's awesome. He's blameless. And Satan does, and this is what's so important narratively. The Satan does exactly what the Satan's job is. He opposes God's point and accuses Job. Accusation. So, he, so God goes, have you seen Job? Great guy. And Job goes, no, or Satan goes, no, he's not. Mm-hmm. Let's do this. And the, and the story unfolds from there. But he shows up, and, and this is maybe controversial to say it this way, but he is not a blatantly evil character in Job. In my At view. least in that story, if you don't have, and again, hear us, the rest of the Bible yes. will inform your understanding of Satan. But as it appears in that story, in biblical history, he's still just a mysterious figure yeah. that appears and makes these accusations and you don't like him. So he's not a good guy yeah. in the story. He's, he causes a horrible amount of suffering yes. to Job. He's, you don't like him, but, but he he's sort not, of seems like a guy doing his job. Like you're the, but accuser. he's not the full blown 
dragon Satan monster that we get in the New Testament at this point. Yeah. So that's Job, and we could talk about that more, but just to keep moving, there's another really interesting story. Um, it's actually a prophetic vision that happens in Zechariah where you see um, the Satan again, and again, he does exactly what he's described. It's in Zechariah 3. If you want to pull up um, Logos for me here, Kevin. Um, and so this is, there's way too much context for us to unpack, but this is, by the way, just a, as a plug for Zechariah, <laughs> Mm -hmm. plug for an ancient Jewish prophetic book. This is the kind of book of the Bible that people just don't read unless you're systematically reading the whole Bible on purpose. And it is amazing. It's one of the most quoted books in the New Testament of the whole Old Testament. Um, And so highly recommend reading this in general. But in a vision, Zechariah the prophet sees this. It says, then he showed me Joshua, the high priest. This is the high priest at this point in Israel's history. Um, after the exile, standing before the angel of the Lord and the Satan, again, make yourself say it because it's not his name, standing at his right hand to accuse him. You see right there, this is so interesting. Um, it's a really, I think it's really helpful. It says in Hebrew, the Satan standing at the right hand of Joshua to, guess what? Satan him. Mm-hmm. Same word, just a, I mean, that's not what it sounds like in Hebrew, but it's the same word just yeah. as a verb. So if you want to know what this guy's job is, it says the Satan standing there to Satan him. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Lord says to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Now it goes on. This is a beautiful story um, where it's a, a picture of the atonement where um, God takes Joshua, who's in these dirty clothes, and this is not the same Joshua from the book of Joshua. This is the high mm-hmm. priest at the time. So, man, we could go down this rabbit trail. How crazy is it that in the vision, the high priest is wearing like filthy, mm-hmm. unclean rags? And so Satan's accusing him, and God takes his unclean clothes and gives him clean clothes. Beautiful image um, for the iniquity being taken and purity being put on him. Um, but that's a rabbit trail we're not going to go down. The point here is you see the Satan, and again, sort of like Job, he gets rebuked by God, not a good guy. I don't think you're supposed to like him, but not necessarily like the ultimate mm-hmm. arch enemy of God and God's people. By the way, we got a hello from Jessica Smith, who is watching from the hospital. What's up, Jessica? Frontline worker. Hope you're hanging in there. I know uh, it's been a hard year for people like Jessica. She's a nurse here mm-hmm. in town, so keep it up. And... Um, this doesn't seem like a good way to stay awake on your break watching a theology show, but yeah, maybe we could d- choose a different, more encouraging episode yeah. <laughs> than the darkest of all realities. Yeah. I'm just, you know, taking a break from my hard job as a nurse during a pandemic to watch a show about Satan. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anything else to say about Zechariah before we keep no. moving? Cause I want to get to the good stuff. So there is this idea in Christianity. Um, and this is, this was my vision of Satan growing up, um, was that he was, an angel. Mm-hmm. And sometimes what I heard was he was the best angel. He's the mm-hmm. ultimate super angel, God's favorite angel. And he led the choirs. He was super good at singing. He was a choir. He was a singer angel. He had, he had, he had it, man. You know who this sounds like? Drew Dowler. Yeah. He sings good. <laughs> so you got the idea in your head of just kind of like, he was the ultimate angel. God loved him. He was the favorite golden yeah. boy. And then he rebelled and was thrown out of heaven down to earth. And that's when he went from being super angel to being Satan, the Mm -hmm. evil. And that whole idea comes from two different prophetic passages, one in Isaiah and one in Ezekiel, that are 
strange enough that it's worth reading a decent chunk of them. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, they're weird and they're going to do stuff that is not how most people were taught. Uh, like Kevin's laughing. No, he's laughing because Jay Kim said that it sounds like Michael Bolton, <laughs> the choir leader. It could be, man. Okay. So, so these, these ones are weird. Now, feel free to just stop me um, as I'm reading, but we're going to jump to uh, Isaiah chapter 14. Now, um, context here. Isaiah is a giant book of prophecy. It spans a whole bunch of time. And like most of the prophets, it has sections that, Ooh, Susanna has a great question for after this, which is, should we pray for the redemption of Satan? So start thinking about that now, or you can just give a one word answer with no explanation. No. All right. So the <laughs> this section, that's the answer I was going to give to. So the, uh, this section is part of a prophetic oracle, which usually comes in the form of poetry. God mm. is giving a message to Isaiah and Isaiah is giving it to the people. And so it says, starting in verse three, when the Lord has given you, talking to Israel, rest from your pain and turmoil and the hard service with which you were made to serve, you will, so basically when exile's over, you're going to mm -hmm. go into Babylon and serve out a sentence of exile for 70 years. And when that's over, you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon. This is something that in literature is called, um, apostrophe, not like the punctuation mark, mm -hmm. but apostrophe is where you address someone who's not actually hearing you. Yeah. So the king of Babylon's never so going to hear again, this. specifically, this is an address to the, the king. king of Babylon. And Babylon is a historical entity at this point. They are a nation with a literal physical king. And dream. they're the superpower. And if you're Israel, they are the evil, deadly, dangerous superpower at any, pretty much at any point in history when they are in existence. So, he, so here's, here's the taunt against the king of Babylon. How the oppressor has ceased, the insolent fury ceased. Yahweh, the Lord, has broken the staff of the wicked, the scepter of rulers that struck the peoples in wrath with unceasing blows that ruled the nations in anger with unrelenting persecution. The whole earth is at rest and quiet. They break forth into singing. The cypresses rejoice at you. So now, so, so far, the king of Babylon has been defeated, he's dead, and this is our taunt song, like, oh, how the mighty yep. have fallen. Now even the, the trees start singing. The cypresses rejoice at you, the cedars of Lebanon saying, since you were laid low, no woodcutter comes up against us. Sheol beneath the place of the dead is stirred up to meet you when you come. It rouses the shades to greet you, all who were leaders of the earth. This is such an epic, like, smack talk session, by the way. It raises yeah. from their thrones all who were it's, kings of the nations. It's like... Um, in the remastered with extra clips of Return of the going. Jedi, um, <laughs> when the Death Star blows up, yeah, like you see the Ewoks celebrating, like yeah, with their little you know dances, and then in the remastered one, that goes to like Naboo or whatever. I yeah. don't know, me that got blown up, but um, they're all, all everyone's having it, dude. The Emperor is dead. Yeah, type and of you've thing. got it's celebration time, and now we're we're invited to imagine that when you arrive in the place of the dead, all of the ancient kings are coming up and saying, you too have become as weak as we, you're just like us. Maggots are laid as a bed beneath you and worms are your covers. Mm -hmm. So, so far, all of this is very concretely. That's physical imagery. That is a decaying body in the ground. Yeah, the king is dead and we're talking smack. Now listen to the turn. 
How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. That's Lucifer, by the way. That's Venus. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world like a desert and overthrew its cities? Okay. Are we talking about the king of Babylon? Yeah, and at this point, it, it's, it started to take a turn, but it's still, still a man in the text, still made the nations afraid. That fits the king of, king of Babylon. But there's that weird nation of where we get Lucifer. You're the morning. Yeah. Venus is the morning star, and there's the, the brilliance of that imagery is that Venus is this bright star. In, in, it looks as if it's a star but it's a planet right. and the stars follow certain behavioral planets that the, the, uh, the stars follow certain behavioral p- patterns that planets don't. And so planets are depicted as wandering stars, but it's, it's the star that tries to stay bright as long as it can before the sun comes right. up. It's so competing the, with the sun. The idea is that there is a lesser light trying to usurp or outshine the greater light, yeah. which is the sun. It's a brilliant image. It's a brilliant metaphor. And, and it's that's not unique what, to the Bible. This is the, the kind of spiritual yeah. implications of the morning star yeah. are common to some extent in the ancient world. So, But, but that's, that word and that, that, those metaphors are where you start to take a turn. Like, are we talking about a physical king? And then it goes on. Yeah. So, okay. Jump into verse 20. You will not be joined with them in burial because you have destroyed your land. You have slain your people. May the offspring of evildoers nevermore be named. Prepare slaughter for his sons because of the guilt of their fathers, lest they rise and possess the earth and fill the face of the world with cities. And so we're, if, if you're familiar with the whole story of the Bible, some of this sounds like the Tower of Babel. Some of it sounds like the, the historical king of Babylon. But there's something kind of being mapped on to the top of it. Like we've used this metaphor before on Theology Thursday, but like the old school transparencies in Mm -hmm. the 90s where you would draw an image and then overlay it on a different image and overlay it until it starts to take on a greater picture. And so that's, that's about where this oracle about the king of Babylon concludes. Mm -hmm. But it's, there's two things you, you could look at this and say, well, it's not about Satan. It's about the king of Babylon. Mm-hmm. Or you could look at it and be like, well, it's not about the king of Babylon. It's about Satan. It's about the day star who fell from heaven, who tried to ascend to yeah. be like God. But what is actually happening, and this is even more clear in the Ezekiel passage we're going to look at in a second, yeah. is that you have a human king who is himself a, represent- a representation of the evil force at work in and through him, mm-hmm. but far beyond him as well. So it's like, is this the king of Babylon or is this the ultimate enemy of God and God's people in creation? Yeah. And the answer is supposed to be yes. And how did our story begin? It begins with the Satan telling humans that they can be like God. That, that God's holding back. Don't trust his word. You can be the light. You, you don't have to be the lesser light, man. You, you yeah. can be like God. God's holding back on you. So 
the pattern of, and that's where it, where it where it's so convicting is the pattern of the evil king of Babylon is found in the pattern of satanic behavior. Right. But that satanic behavior is also the template at which human beings fall into. Yeah. We want to sit on the throne. We want to be the star. Yeah. And again, this is the story of the Tower of Babel, which is this, the, col- the story of collective humanity with all of our genius and wisdom and, yeah. and might putting all of our work and effort and ingenuity into trying to become gods ourselves. Now, there's something really interesting that doesn't get talked about in this chapter. Oh, Drew Dowler showed up just after we compared him to Satan. So you might want to rewind a little bit. True um, story. So re- it's really interesting. After the oracle against the king of Babylon has ended, you get a few verses of other things. But in that same chapter, Isaiah addresses an oracle from God to the Philistines, which are ancient enemies of Israel as well. And it's the, the tone of this oracle is basically like a, hey, don't get too cocky, Philistia, just because mm-hmm. the king of Babylon died. Um, some important context. In Isaiah chapter 6, this is going to get really weird, but it's going to make sense at some point. Probably once we get to Isaiah. To Ezekiel, yeah. No, I mean uh, Isaiah 6. That's what I'm about to say, okay. yeah. So, so in Isaiah 6, okay. famous, famous scene where <laughs> Drew just says, ouch. Um, we only compared you to the fact that he was supposed to be a great singer. Yeah. So in Isaiah chapter six, Isaiah sees a vision of God in the temple. It's this incredibly super popular. I see the Lord seated on a throne, and the train of uh, the train of his robe fills the temple with glory. Beautiful. And there's something there. Yeah. We typically say there's angels there, and they're crying out, "Holy, holy, holy!" And then they get the coals and they cleanse Isaiah because he has a potty mouth. Yeah. And if you, that's, <laughs> this is the way Isaac tells his yeah. kids the story. And if you don't want to get your mouth burned with yeah. coal, yeah. then don't say that word. So if you are really savvy about the Old Testament, you'll know that those angelic creatures, and by the way, this is important from what we talked about last week. We just usually say angels. Yes. But they're not called angels in the story. This is going to connect some dots. They're called seraphim. Now, they're called seraphim, which is not an English word. It's just a Hebrew word. Root word, seraph. Which means snake now before you think we're getting too weird (laughs) bible uh do the logos bible word study from isaiah so you so you can see this work okay so in in the majority of english translations the angels quote-unquote angels that are in the presence of god it just says seraphim yeah and it says it right here seraphim noun and as you can see if it's pretty small on your screen probably but the definition of this word is serpent, kind of a serpent. And you can do an actual word study and see that it's the definition that's given is either seraphim, which is not a definition. That's just the word that's again. That's transliteration. That's literally just the word pronounced with English letters or serpent or fiery because the root word can also mean shining or fiery or burning. Yeah. Um, now, other uses are all over the Bible, but it's actually used three other times in Isaiah, the book of Isaiah mm-hmm. itself. So, okay. Without going too far down the rabbit hole, what you are supposed to picture here is flying snakes. These are snakes who are described in Isaiah 6 as having six wings. They cover their face, they cover their feet, and they fly. And um, we see the, this type of art depicted all, ac- all across. All over the ancient world. There are spiritual beings that are serpent-like in their figure as they are depicted in art. Yeah. Flying snakes. Um, because I also don't want you to, to think in your mind, again, this is the category problem. I don't want you to think there's flying snakes. Right. 
because these are spiritual beings and the words being used to describe them are snake or serpent-like figures. Yeah. Um, and in this case, these serpent-like figures have wings and we see this type of art depicted ac- across the, the ancient world. Now, it's not the same word for snake that describes the snake in the Garden of Eden. That's yes. the yeah. Hebrew nahash. word nahash. So there's three times in Isaiah where this word seraph occurs. One is here, and they just they don't translate it. They just say seraphim, even though it just it just means snakes in Hebrew. The other time, it, there's another time when it occurs, and it's just talking about a snake. But in Isaiah chapter 24 that we were just looking at, I'm sorry, 14 that we were just looking at, where Isaiah is talking all this smack about the king of Babylon. Later on, when he addresses the king of Philistia in the same chapter, he says. Hold on, where is it? 29. Rejoice not, O Philistia, all of you, that the rod that struck you was broken. Now what he's saying is, don't get cocky just because the king of Babylon died. The king of Babylon had you all put in your place, and now that he's dead, you might, Philistia, you mm-hmm. might start thinking, hey, I feel pretty good now. Mm-hmm. He says, why, why don't you rejoice? For from the serpent's root will come forth an adder, and its fruit will be a flying seraph. So you thought the great evil snake was defeated. You thought the king of Babylon was the but problem. But the king of Babylon is not the problem because you killed that snake. But out of that snake comes a flying seraph. A flying seraph. Now, again, conceptually, you have, to, you have to think about this conceptually. What is a flying snake when you picture that? That's something dragon-like. Yeah. A dra- it's a j- dragon-like. So it's saying there's an even greater force behind the king of Babylon. And guess what? He's coming to visit you. Yeah. And it's, and, and it's very interesting. There's three different words for snake in that one verse. Yeah. It says the Nahash, which is the Genesis 3 snake, from the Nahash's root will come an adder, which is a different word for snake. I can't remember what it is. It's not a common one. Sepa. And its fruit will be... The, the flying seraph, the, this dragon. And so there's something really strange going on here, but, but it, it's to the point that we made earlier, which is that, is this about the king of Babylon? Well, yes, but what is the king of Babylon? He's just one more iteration of this kind of, it's almost like a twisted, evil, corrupt version of the root of David that, we, yeah. that Isaiah talks about at length all over the book, that there's a root of the serpent as well. And yeah. just because the king of Babylon is dead doesn't mean it's over. The spiritual being that is giving energy to the earthly king to do evil lives on. You didn't kill. You didn't kill the serpent. And this is pretty epic. I mean, come on. Yeah. And again, when we say the serpent, don't think that I think there's a literal snake who's really ruling the world. He, he might have appeared as a physical snake, or it could be like something similar to going on in Isaiah where there are spiritual beings who appear serpent-like or serpentine. Right. Um, and the ones that were guarding the presence of God in Isaiah, they're, they're good ones. They haven't rebelled yet. Right. Satan could be a bad one of those seraphim. Yeah, yeah. and there's actually reason to think that. Um, without going too far down this rabbit hole either, that the seraphim are one of the two types of angelic beings that are described as like being in the presence of God. In yeah. this, they're like throne room attendants for God. Yeah. The other ones are cherubim, 
cherubs, mm-hmm. um, who the medieval church liked to picture them as little naked babies with wings, which is just horribly offensive. It's yeah, not they're, they're what more, they look like. More like evil biting snakes, man. Yeah. So again, but your, to your point is that if they're in the throne, they, they are in the dwelling place of God. There's these seraphim are a spiritual being that's they they typically occupy the space where the dwelling place of God is, and the garden was functioning as a temple dwelling place of God, then those beings might have also been there and Satan might belong in one of those categories. Right. It's speculation, but again, you're at least beginning to think in biblical categories and a lot of the things that didn't make sense in the scriptures will begin to make sense when you think yeah, of those categories. Yeah, there's a framework within which it all fits. All right, so jumping to Ezekiel, because Ezekiel has a very similar section um, where he is talking about, and you can bring up the Bible here again, Kev, thanks. Um, this one actually helps it make sense. It's, it, it does. It does what we're talking about more clearly. And this is, um, it's, it's interesting because it's not even talking about the same king. This time Ezekiel is talking about, the, wow, the obsessive gardener doesn't just know about spicy peppers. He knows his snakes. He says an adder is a small venomous Eurasian snake that has a dark zigzag pattern on its back and bears live young. That's trippy. Now I will say, there are times when the Hebrew Bible will translate a term and it's not necessarily giving you like an exact, we, like the exact species of animal that we, that we mean by that same word. Yeah. So Adder might not be talking about this same exact kind of snake. Just like there's times when it'll be like, you know, it'll footnote that it said goat and it's like, we, you know, maybe it's a goat. We don't know. Um, Cause they're ancient words for some animals that don't, that aren't even around anymore. So the, Ezekiel taunt, it's very, very similar, but this one is addressed to the prince of Tyre, which is another superpower, really, really wealthy empire in the ancient world. And um, again, remember, this is apostrophe, meaning Ezekiel's not actually talking to the prince of Tyre. This is for the benefit of the Israelites who hear this prophecy. He says, because your heart is proud and you have said, I am a God. By the way, anybody know what that word is? El, like Elohim. And I sit in the seat of the Elohim, in the heart of the seas. Yet you are but a man and no God, though you make your heart like the heart of a God. You are indeed wiser than Daniel. No secret is hidden from you. By your wisdom and your understanding, you have made wealth for yourself and have gathered gold and silver into your treasuries. By your wisdom in your trade, you have increased your wealth and your heart has become proud in your wealth. So again, you can kind of see the overlaid transparencies here that you're like, Mm -hmm. we're talking in archetypal language about this king who also represents something beyond just the king that he says, you know, I'm a God. I sit in the seat of, but even then it's still totally, totally could be a dude. Totally. Totally could be a dude. That's like, you know, I am a God type of type of thing. And we know Pharaoh's Caesar's adopted divine language and ascribed it to themselves. Yeah. And it's, this one gets really dramatic. So we'll jump ahead a little bit because we're actually, believe it or not, we're, we're running short on time here. Verse nine, will you still, I love this. Will you still say I am a God in the presence of those who kill you, though you are but a man and no God in the hands of those who slay you? It's a pretty crazy image yeah. being painted. Like, so as you're dying under the sword of your enemy, are you still going to say you're a God? You shall die the death of the uncircumcised by the hand of foreigners. For I have spoken, declares the Lord God. Bad news for the literal, physical, historical figure of the king of Tyre. Now listen to this. This is this again is more obvious than Isaiah, I would say. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God. So there's a second lamentation. Yeah. 
And for some reason, there's this the break there, right? You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day you were created, they were prepared. Does this still sound like so, the king so of Tyre? Is the king of Tyre was in the Garden of Eden? Covered in jewels yeah. and like created special. And then it gets even more dramatic in verse 14. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. Now, it goes on and on and on. And the lines start to blur back the other direction again, yep. where he starts to say, but then because of your wealth and your trade and everything, you know, you started to grow. Yeah. And, and it, it comes back again to you're going, you're going to be killed and you're going to die. But I mean, man, mm-hmm. that kind of double layering where it's almost like you're looking at the king, but you're getting an image of the spiritual power that's at work behind this evil super king. Yeah, it's like in uh, that one movie, <laughs> Lord of the Rings. Um, we're when, diverse in our references when, in this show. When Gandalf goes uh, and Wormwood is, you know, he's hustling the king. And Gandalf goes and basically casts out the spirit. There's, there's a spirit in the king. Yeah. There's an animating force. Be- so Gandalf can talk to the king, but he can also address Sauron at the same time, yeah. or Saruman at the same time. Yeah. So I'm, it's like, I'm really glad you corrected that, yeah. by the way. Our, so, our viewers were going to be super upset. Per- so you're, he's talking to the king, but he's also talking to Saruman at the same time. Right. And in Ezekiel's lament, it's very similar. He's clearly talking to the king of Tyre. He's a physical guy. He's, he's saying, you're going to get killed by the sword. But then all of a sudden, hey, but I know you were in the garden of God. You were a cherub. And as the obsessive gardener says, this, if you take it really concretely, is an argument for Satan being in the garden prior to his rebellion or his falling from grace. Um, And again, much smarter, just to be clear, much smarter people than me don't think that. Think Mm -hmm. that the war predates that by a long time. I have professors Mm -hmm. who are brilliant who Mm -hmm. who think that. To me, the plainest reading sounds like he was in the garden Getting and along is one with of everybody. these spiritual beings at, and maybe maybe he had started to rebel, but he wasn't full blown cursed right yet because he receives the curse subsequent to to humanity's yeah. fall, and he's he's there. And again, you emphasize the word; it's a mountain. What you're supposed to picture is the Garden of Eden at a at a high place, and the rivers flow down from it. This is the conceptual world of the biblical authors. Right. And it's interesting because he's, it actually says specifically, you were a cherub. And we talked about how Isaiah seems to be in a subtle way identifying this character as a seraph. Um, and a cherub, again, these are word pictures, so we don't want to suddenly decide to get really hyper-concrete about ascribing mm-hmm. meaning to them. But they are very similar spiritual beings in terms of how they're described in scripture. Mm-hmm. They're in the presence of God. The cherubim are what God rides on. They're like, they carry the chariot of God. Mm-hmm. Um, they're also guardians like the seraph. They're like throne room guardians. I mean, yeah. what is it that blocks the way back to the path of the tree of life? It's cherubim and a flaming sword. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's very interesting. There's a, there's a good case to be made that the Bible is hinting that this is the nature of, of what type of spiritual being the Satan was prior to his fall from grace. But again, not crystal clear, nothing that you need to like build doctrine on or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, and I think what's really important again is that that pattern. 
um, the way I've said it is that when when the Old Testament is painting these pictures, you're seeing that there's a pattern of behavior that Babylon follows. But that pattern of behavior is, again, the way Satan behaves. And then that pattern of behavior is actually what's expressed in humans. Humans were created wonderful, beautiful, said in Ezekiel, he's the signet of perfection. Adam and Eve are made very good. Um, and they have everything they want and can need and everything's fine. But yet in their heart, they say, I want to be God. Right. So it's not just Satan. It's you. It's me. It's everyone. Yeah. We say in our heart, I want to be God. And, and as we're going to look at next week, it's pretty clear that this is what happened with a subset of other spiritual beings as well, who chose like Satan to rebel against God in Genesis 6. Oh, man, we're talking about Genesis 6. No, next, next week, week. not tonight. We're, we do not have time for Genesis 6 tonight. That, but I'm that's, but that's week. You're, you are not, again, as a Christian, you don't think of yourself as, I'm the, you know, I've got my sword and my shield, and I'm like a good soldier, and I'm going to fight against Satan because I'm part of the good guys. You did what Satan did. Mm-hmm. All of humanity has done this. And the reason you get to be on God's side of the war the reason you mm-hmm. get to be in the family of God is because of his initiative to rescue he you. He took back the captives. Right. He goes and re- he goes on the rescue missions and saves the captives. And now you don't... I mean, Michael the archangel doesn't dare bring a reviling accusation against Satan. So so we, we put on spiritual armor, but not an arrogance. Like right. we're, It's like, no, man, the Lord rebuke you. It's in the power in the name of Jesus. I'm not trying to mess with anything else. And that takes us back sort of to where we began. It's serious stuff. Like yeah. it's not just like, oh, we're talking about the the, the devil th- this week. This is serious stuff. The reason why the biblical categories are important is because they teach us how to engage this. We're going to talk about this either next week or the week after. Yeah. But like, what is our place in that reality? Yeah, and your we can say this because it becomes mu- we're looking almost exclusively at the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, everything becomes much clearer. And your starting place in the story is very clear. The New Testament authors have all kinds of language to describe the fact that prior to you being saved by grace, you are in Satan's possession, both by default and by choice. You walk in the domain of darkness. You are part of his kingdom and you have to be rescued out of it. It's why Jesus says, hey, if you want to steal the strong man's stuff, somebody has to come into the house and tie the strong man up so he can plunder his goods. You are plundered goods if you're a Christian from the domain of Satan. And so, again, at the end of Revelation, you have this very clear picture painted by John where he brings in Revelation 12 all, all of these of pieces, together. everything we've all talked about, he brings Let, it all We together. should actually look, I wasn't planning to, we should just look at it because all these names and titles. All the things that we've been talking about is finally brought together. So he says in Revelation 12, a war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. At this point, the dragon has been around for a while, but he hasn't yet been named. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. Now, there's all kinds of debate about when that all happens, but here's the key. Verse nine, and the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and the Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth. So John in one sentence says the dragon, the serpent, the Satan, the devil, the deceiver of the whole world. Later in the passage, he says the accuser of the brothers. Mm -hmm. So he's the deceiver of the whole world, and he's the one who brings accusation against Christians. Um, And brings, not only, there's those words that that mean stuff, but again, the conceptual, what you're picturing, it's the spiritual being who you saw as a snake in the garden 
is also the dragon. Right. The 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 super. So if for, for those of you who play um, RPG games, you'll get this a lot better. And I've always said this, but an RPG game, a role playing game, you get to the final boss, and there's like type of music. You yeah. guys know if you this, know the genre, you know what I'm talking about. This is Chrono Trigger right here. And then you defeat like a super strong snake and he's like oh and no you're like, oh, thank God, i'm defeated the and the good guys go now we can go back to living our lives and joy and peace and then and then all of a sudden the snake starts to smoke and then a giant dragon the super form of the serpent yeah. appears he's like you thought you could defeat me and, and if you're playing in the in the 90s or 80s that happens like four times yeah he gets getting bigger and bigger <laughs> so it's the final form but yeah and, and what john does is he goes man the the snake of old is a dragon, man. And he is an accuser and a deceiver, not just of Adam and Eve, but it says of the whole world. Yeah. But there has been a serpent slayer, a serpent crusher, crusher which, by the way, was, was prophesied in all the, way the, the curse beginning. in Genesis chapter 3. Yeah, it's incredible. And if you follow the flow of that story, you have moments like Isaiah winking at you and saying, oh, you think the king of Babylon being dead is good news? Well, guess what? That snake is going to give birth to a dragon. Which we'll touch on later. And this is, again, so important for, for the time we're living in. You th Israel thought the great problem was just the physical reality of the evil mm. king. What the New Testament comes in is it says the problem is much worse. The problem isn't just that there's an evil king of Babylon or there's an evil Caesar in Rome because there's something behind that. And Jesus begins to, to articulate that. And then Paul and Paul and the, the, the apostles articulate that more clearly. It kind of climaxes in, in Ephesians 6, where you do yeah. not wrestle against flesh and blood, but principalities in the heavenly realms. There's these evil spiritual beings behind the scenes. And ultimately, even if you get rid of this bad king, yeah. there's going to be another bad king unless you deal with the yeah. sin issue. There is a cooperation between human forces of evil and spiritual forces of evil that seems to be the pattern for all of scripture and all of human history. And so next week, we're going to kind of go beyond talking about the Satan to talking about other spiritual beings, the rebellion that kind of is subsequent to his rebellion of other mm -hmm. spiritual beings. And that, and that will lead us into talking about demons, what have been called territorial spirits and all kinds of other fun stuff. Mm -hmm. So um, hopefully you guys hung in there for that. I know that was some crazy wild stuff. If you got questions, Take we'll away that him. thumbs down. Whoever put that yeah, thumbs down, man. Jacob Serpa. Jacob Serpa, man. <laughs> thumbs down to you, man. Have a great week, everybody. Just doing what we can, man. <laughs>